Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Okay, so we're going to have all the fathers. If you're a father here, would you stand right where you are? That would be great if you would do that. Come on now. All the fathers, let's go ahead and applaud our fathers here, grandfathers. Great. Hey, we want to do two things. You know, the mothers, they get... No, stay standing there, guys. Come on, don't don't bail on me now. On Mother's Day, we give out peppermint patties, you know, for all the moms. Just our way of saying thanks. And uh, Pastor Ron has a tradition here we're going to keep on the way out. You dads, you pick up a payday candy bar. That's your treat, okay? So that's a, that's what you can be looking for on the exit doors as you leave here. And uh, let's do this. Can all of you who are still seated just extend your hands? And we're going to pray for all our dads. Can we do that? All the fathers here. Jesus, we thank you for all the fathers in this place. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless them, give them great wisdom to lead their homes, Lord Jesus, to set a good example for the children and grandchildren. Bless them, Lord, we pray in your worthy name. Amen and amen. Thanks, guys. You may be seated. Well, this weekend we are continuing our sermon series. We've been doing this now for several months on the Touchable Jesus, Touchable Church. And the title that I've given this message is Receiving God's Promises. For a couple weeks now, as I've been praying over this message, the, the Lord just kept impressing upon me a scripture uh, and I want to share that scripture with you before we turn to Acts chapter 2 as we continue through our study of the book of Acts. But I want to share this scripture with you because it really is directly connected to what I think the Lord wants to say to us tonight. And that passage is found in Numbers 23 and verse 19. 23 verse 19. That passage says this, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? It's interesting to me that um, Jesus said that to enter the kingdom of God, we must be converted and become like little children in regard to faith. The fact is, a little child starts out believing everything their mother and father tell them. Um, you, you look at a little child in the first year or so, and, and mom and dad will say something, and they will believe them. Uh, but it's not very long, though, if you look and you study little children, you, you, they, they learn to doubt what pe- their parents and other people begin to say to them. I think children learn to doubt because their fathers and mothers make promises that for one reason or another, they don't always keep. We also tell them stories about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy, and at least for a while we pretend they're real. And I know this seems to be innocent fun at the time, but when children learn that what we say doesn't match up with reality, I think what begins to creep into their minds is an unconscious reservation. And they begin to become a little suspicious and doubt what people tell them is actually the truth. After all, you don't want to be naive. 
and believe everything people tell you, only to find out later that they were only kidding and you played the fool. Nobody wants to look foolish, so our little children who start out as believers learn to become doubters. Now, I know that we're not intentionally trying to be dishonest or deceptive. I I know that as as parents uh, and as people, that's not our heart intent. But I know that it's hard sometimes to tell a young child the truth about complicated subjects that don't always have simple answers. Um, And in defense of every parent who tries to keep their promises, let's be honest, sometimes life happens. And... uh, Circumstances beyond our control cause us to disappoint our children. But let me explain the fallout of all of this. The fallout of living in our broken world is that most of us transfer our learned distrust of people and our lack of faith in what they say to God. As we get older, we're prone to think that God can't be trusted either. And we're not too sure he will do what he says. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we struggle to have faith in God today and to trust him with our lives is that we think he is just like us. But God is not like us. He is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he, sh- he would make a promise and not keep his word. God is a father who is 100% truthful 100% of the time, and he is 100% faithful to do what he says. And we see abundant evidence of his faithful character in the book of Acts. I want to just take one example We're going to back up for a moment and look at one of the promises of Jesus found in Acts 1, 4 through 8. Before Jesus ascended and went to heaven to be with his father, he spoke these words to his disciples who saw him rise up into the clouds and disappear from their sight. He said this, wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There is a promise in there. Jesus is making a promise, and the Holy Spirit is referred to as a promise of God the Father. These are promises. He's saying you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When? A few days. He didn't even tell them how many. He also promised that when that happened, they would receive power. Some kind of dunamis, some kind of supernatural, dynamic, life-changing power when that happened. Turn the page to Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. All these disciples, they met in an upper room. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These 120 disciples 
who were waiting for the Holy Spirit in the upper room, had no idea when or how Jesus would fulfill his promise. They didn't know the details. But they believed he would keep his word. And that day the crowds heard them speak in 15 different languages they had never learned. As we were worshiping, just praying before the service, and, and, I, and I've been asking this for years, and it never hit me until just tonight. This happened at 9 o'clock in the morning when all of this happened. And I was always wondering, how is it they got from the upper room to the temple area where all these people heard them speak? And it just suddenly struck me. I don't know how I never saw it before. 9 o'clock was the hour of prayer. That's when all Jews gathered in the temple area for the morning sacrifice. So here they are, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and they are so can I say it this way, intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Everybody thought they were drunk. And so they're walking down the streets, making their way to the temple area. Thousands of people are gathered there on the day of Pentecost because that was a feast that every Jew was required to attend. And they're hearing these people speaking in languages and they knew that they didn't know them originally. They were Galileans. The Holy Spirit's enabling them to speak in a language. And it says in the scripture, chapter 2, that they were praising the wonderful works of God. But this isn't the first time God made this promise. This isn't the first time that God promised that one day he would pour out the Holy Spirit on his people. In fact, he gave this first, the promise came the first time 800 years earlier. 800 years and it's written down in the book of Joel, chapter 2. This is where God promised to pour out the Holy Spirit on His people. Joel 2, 28-32, God said this, Afterward, I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Please notice in Joel, this is again 800 years before that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was promised. Didn't stop there. God restated the promise 200 years later. Through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27, Ezekiel is saying it this way. He says to the Jewish people, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Well, let's see. That happened in 90, 1948, didn't it? Israel wasn't a nation, but in 1948, suddenly overnight they became a nation. God started drawing the Jewish people back to their own land little more than 60 years ago. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Joel is predicting this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel is confirming it. And Jesus says it's going to happen in a few days. 
This reference to the heart of stone is very, very interesting, very revealing. It's an important detail in this account in Ezekiel. You see, we know the children of Israel made their exodus from Egypt on Passover. But what isn't so commonly known is that when they left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they went into to a particular place that God was calling them to. He called them to Mount Sinai. According to rabbinic tradition, they arrived at Mount Sinai 50 days after they left Egypt on Pentecost. And so what did God do? Well, when they finally arrived at Mount Sinai... That mountain was consumed, it says in the scripture, this consumed with fire and smoke. There was a great earthquake and then God spoke from heaven and gave his people ten commandments written on two tablets of stone. It's not a coincidence that God fulfilled what he promised through Ezekiel 600 years later on the day of Pentecost. But instead of writing his law on stone tablets, God wrote his law on the hearts of those who believed in him. And he put his spirit within them, just as Joel, Ezekiel, and the Lord Jesus promised. God is not a man that he should lie. Or nor a son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Oh, we've learned to doubt God, haven't we? We don't trust him. We're not too sure what his intentions are. Where did we learn all of that? We learned it when we were a little kid. We grew up to be doubters instead of believers. That scripture is asking questions. They're rhetorical questions. They demand an answer. Well, of course not. God, God isn't going to change his mind. He's not going to fail to keep his word. God always keeps his promises. Peter went on to explain the event to the crowds. I mean, they were confused. They, they heard these Galileans speaking in all these languages, and they, they thought they were drunk. Peter said, whoa. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> a little early for that. Acts 2, 14 through 21, it gives us the explanation to this confused crowd. Listen to what Peter said. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I want you to notice these next words. In the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't it interesting? Peter's quoting the promise. The first time it was given. Peter told the crowd that they were witnessing the fulfillment of God's promise. He also explained why the Holy Spirit was being poured out on that particular day. Listen to what he says in the following verses, 22 to 36. He said this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, 
have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you now see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, if you just learned that you were responsible for putting the Messiah, the Savior of mankind, to death, and it was this same Jesus who poured out God's Spirit on His disciples, I suggest that the people who heard those words that day were having a personal crisis. They all longed for Messiah. They just learned they killed Him. This is not a good day. You would be very afraid, panic-stricken, and you would be thinking something like this. Is there any hope for me now? Is there any hope? I've done the most unspeakable thing. After all, you were right there with the crowd. You shouted the words, crucify him to Pontius Pilate. Listen to their reaction, how they responded in Acts 2, 37 to 41. They said, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do? They had two reactions to Peter's message. The first thing is they, they experienced profound conviction and guilt for what they had done. It says they were cut to the heart. This just wasn't something intellectual. It hit them in their innermost being. They were experiencing incredible conviction and guilt. Secondly, they were desperate about their fate. Was there anything they could do? Was there any hope for them? knowing they were accomplices to murder and deserved to be judged and condemned by God. Peter said this to them. He said, there's three things you need to hear. First of all, repent. It's a word metanoia in the Greek. Meta, change. Noia, mind. It's a changed mind. It's a mind, it's an attitude, a life direction that is heading one direction, one way, and you turn 180 degrees and go the other way. That's what repent means. It means instead of living for your own will and way, you are now going to live for God's will and His ways. It's not just merely thinking differently. It's a thought that produces a different lifestyle. Repent. Secondly, he said, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We need to understand who he's talking to here. He's talking to Jews. The only people that would get baptized were Gentiles converting to Judaism. By saying that they had to be baptized was their admission that I'm as sinful and as guilty as a Gentile. My Jewish heritage and history means nothing. I need to humble myself. I need to be washed. I need to be forgiven. I need, I need to have my sins remitted. I need God to forgive my sins. Because they knew they'd sinned. And then thirdly, Peter said, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, there is hope for those who have sinned, and the hope is based upon a promise from God who doesn't lie. Peter said that when we repent of our sins and are baptized in the name of Jesus, we are forgiven and saved. Peter went on to say that God's promises are available not just to a select few, but to everyone. He went on to say this, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. There's thousands of people listening to what Peter's saying right now. And he's telling them, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000? That's incredible. 3,000 people, their hearts were penetrated. They experienced conviction. They felt the desperation. They knew they needed to be forgiven. And they were more than willing to get baptized. And the church was born. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God's 100% faithful, 100% of the time. And he will always do what he says. These promises that we are reading about in Acts chapter 2 are still in force today. Salvation and the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ is still available to as many as the Lord will call today. If you are not a Christian and you are hearing my voice, you need to understand that God is calling you right now. As many as the Lord our God will call. He is calling you. You're a member of that afar off group. We're 2,000 years removed from the promise, but we're the afar off group. We're on another continent in another time period. And God is saying to each of us today, be saved from this perverse generation, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If those hearing Peter's voice were living in the midst of a perverse generation, I wonder how he would describe our world today. Morally and spiritually, we've lost our way. We no longer know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And absolute truth no longer exists according to postmodern thinking. Truth is whatever you want it to be. But the Bible stands in direct opposition to the philosophies and practices of our, of our perverse generation that we live in. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God without apology. The Bible says that the only person who can forgive our sins and save us is Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And Jesus said in no uncertain terms, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has told us that there is only one way to God, not many ways. He told us that He is the truth, not many truths about what is good and evil. 
And Jesus told us that we will only find life in Him. God is not a man that He should lie. So this means God's promise about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is also true. He said that if we repent and call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. He also said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Salvation is a gift we receive by faith based upon a promise of God. Maybe you prayed that prayer. You prayed, Jesus, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Please come into my heart and be my Savior and the Lord of my life. Maybe you prayed that prayer. How do you know you're a Christian if you prayed that prayer and you meant it? The only way you know that you are a Christian, that God has saved you and forgiven you, it's based on what promise in His Word. God promised Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're basing your life on a promise. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is no less binding. It's no less true. Listen to what he says in Luke 11, 9 through 13. God is saying this. We receive the Holy Spirit the same way. He says, so I, ask, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone. Notice the word Everyone. Not just some people, not just pastors and missionaries, everyone. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? Ask Him. Okay, so if you sincerely ask God to forgive you and for Christ to be your personal Savior, we ask by faith we receive. How do you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Exactly the same way. Based upon the same God who made the promise. And the truthfulness to His Word. Well, it begs the question, so why do we need the Holy Spirit? A lot of people, they get to the point in their, their spiritual experience, well, I, I become a Christian, God's forgiven my sins, I'm going to heaven when I die, that works for me. Listen, we need the person of the indwelling Holy Spirit to take up residence in our being. And the reason is simply this. God never intended for us to have a two-dimensional existence. Let me explain what I mean by that. Most people, most people, and I dare say even many Christians, base their entire lives and every decision they make on two factors. They base their thinking and their living and their decisions and choices based upon what they think and what they feel. In other words, they're only getting input from the physical and psychological dimensions of their being. And their spiritual dimension is either dead, dormant, or deceived. 
So people going around, they go through life and they say, well, I wonder what I should do today. They decide this, they decide that, they make this choice or that decision. And it's basically whatever seems right at the time or whatever feels right. That's two-dimensional living. The spiritual is not even remotely considered of what God might be saying about that decision. So if we are all going through life and relying only upon our intellect and emotions to make decisions, then there is no way we will be able to avoid making a lot of dumb, impulsive choices. And all of us have proven this to be true countless times. Am I right? We've made impulsive decisions and later we think, how dumb could I be? Why in the world did I do that? Now I have to pay for that thing. Or now, oh, it's like an albatross. It's just something hanging on. You wish, you, you, you wish you'd never gone there. The other thing that's always interesting is that if you are living only by what you think and what you feel, I would submit to you that at no point in time did we ever think of the future or eternal consequences of that decision. We never stopped and analyzed. Well, let's see. How will this work out at the judgment seat of Christ? I wonder if there's some eternal consequences or future consequences. I can't see right now, but they're out there. Let me, let me take some time and think. You know, we don't think about that. It doesn't even cross our minds. God never intended for us as human beings to live that way. He created us in His image according to His likeness with a body, soul, and a spirit. God intended for us to gain information through our body. That's why we have five senses. Taste, touch, sight, smell, and sound. We have five senses that help us interact with the world. We gain data through our being, through our bodies. We then process that information with our mind. But listen carefully. The final decision we make with our will was supposed to be judged in our spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit. So the question isn't, well, should I marry this gal? She looks good and I feel good. No, the question is, Lord, what's your will? I have no idea how this is going to work out in 10, 20, or 30 years. But you do. What's your will about that? Should I buy this car? Looks pretty. Goes fast. Have you asked the Holy Spirit about that? Have you asked God? Have you considered the implications of purchasing that car? It can be really simple. Really simple stuff. And later you realize, oh boy, I wish I hadn't done that. Should I go to that party? Well, the Holy Spirit. If you're really paying attention, you're living a three-dimensional existence, you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and He says, don't go there. Well, I don't see what could be wrong with that. Don't go there. He knows what could happen that you would never anticipate. 
The truth is, only God knows the consequences of our choices, which is why we were never designed to live our lives without Him. This is why Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter, the Counselor, the Helper, and the Spirit of Truth in John's Gospel. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and He is God. Fill this in in your notes. He is He's the one who guides us into all truth if we're willing to listen to His voice and follow His counsel. He guides us in every decision if we're willing to listen to His voice. If you're a Christian, you hear His voice. Are you willing to follow His counsel? Secondly, He will empower us with the strength and resolve to do God's will instead of our own. He's the Spirit of truth who convicts us and helps us to discern right from wrong, good from evil. Have you had that experience? You were about to do something and you just felt this conviction in your heart saying, that's not for you. Well, everybody else does it. It's not for you. Well, I'm not sure I understand why that's a bad thing. It's not for you. Okay. I take your word for it, God. I trust you. So, l- listen, the bottom line is none of us are smart enough to live life on our own. I-, I hate to break that to you, but you're not smart enough to live life. Because if you're only going by what you think and what you feel, you're in trouble already. You, you-, you better have the omnipotent, omniscient God dwelling in you. To help you. <laughs> Do you need help overcoming a sinful temptation you continually give into and have tried to overcome in your own strength for years? Well, I think we would all have to admit, you know, my willpower and my intentions will only take me so far. And then when I run out, there I go again. Falling into that same temptation and then feeling guilty. So here's a thought. Why don't we ask the Holy Spirit to help us every day? Admit the weakness. Say, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness? Do you avoid reading the Bible because it seems too hard to understand? Ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Bible will become alive to you when you read it. I had this happen when I was in high school. I got saved when I was in ninth grade. Kind of by accident, really. Wasn't even looking for God, but He was looking for me. For two years, the next two years, three years, I floundered as a Christian. I didn't know anything. I'd pick up the Bible, couldn't make heads or tails out of it. Really just made no sense whatsoever. My senior year, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you know I could not put this book down? I would read it from cover to cover. And it was just like God was speaking to me. And it hasn't stopped since. The reason is, is the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the book to record exactly what God wanted said in every detail. And the Holy Spirit interprets, explains, and helps us understand God's Word and to remember it and apply it to our lives. The point is this, God intends for us to have a three-dimensional life with the body, soul, and spirit all working in harmony with the Holy Spirit. 
I need to tell you that if you are only living a two-dimensional existence, you will be tripping over yourself and suffering painful consequences from your choices your entire life. And many of us could say, yep, that's true. But if you're willing to humble yourself and admit at best every decision you make is short-sighted and self-serving, then you are at the same place those people were who heard Peter preach on the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, what should we do? Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord will call. This message has not changed in 2,000 years. We need to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and ask God to baptize us with His Holy Spirit. This promise is to all of us. It's to you. Before I conclude this message tonight, I need to say a brief word about the part of Joel's prophecy Peter quoted. Some of you, would, I know, would come up to me afterwards and you'd ask me this question, so I'm going to try to intercept all your questions right now. Hey, Pastor Al, what about the blood, the fire, and the billows of smoke? What's that all about? How did that figure into it? It didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. Get ready now. What did that have to do with the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit? That's the question. Why is that in the prophecy? The answer is this. Joel not only saw the day when God would begin to pour out His Holy Spirit on all flesh. He also saw the end when that would happen. The end of history. When we would need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives more than ever. Did you notice this? That Peter said, when he quoted Joel, he said these words, In the last days. This is what Joel was talking about. In the last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. When did the last days begin? 2,000 years ago. That's when the last days begin. I suggest that you are in the last of the last days right now. God has been baptizing people who believe in Him for, the, for all these last 2,000 years. But we are nearing the end of the last days before the Lord returns to judge the world. Before Jesus returns, Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation clearly tell us that God will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Listen, if there's ever going to be a time when you need to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and hearing the voice of the Spirit, it's in that day. And those days are coming closer than I think we would be willing to admit. We see the signs all around us. We must repent, be baptized, and receive the promised Holy Spirit if we're going to be ready to meet the Lord. We can no longer afford to have a two-dimensional existence. We must have a relationship with God in a three-dimensional life, and for that to happen, you must be born again. God's promise to you is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You must also ask the Lord to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do it tonight. We need the power, wisdom, and discernment of the Holy Spirit to know God's will and then walk it out. 
The gift of the Holy Spirit is God's promise to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off. So if you've never received Christ, I'm going to invite you after the end of this service to come forward during our last worship song. Pray with our care team members. Say, Just come up and say, you know, I need Jesus. I need to know my sins are forgiven. If you've never asked God to baptize you and fill you with the Holy Spirit, just come up and say, you know, would you pray with me, agree with me in prayer? I'm just going to do what the Bible says. God says to me that if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Al, I've been, let's see, I've prayed the prayer, I've been baptized in water, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me suggest this to you. How about all nine of the spiritual gifts? Have you asked God for them? The Holy Spirit has gifts to give you. Speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, faith, miracles, gifts of healing, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discernment. These are available too. We have not because we ask not. I want to close by asking one final question, and that's this. Maybe you've received some of these things from the Holy Spirit. You've received some things from God's Spirit, and God has given you certain things. But does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Have you given Him all of you? I'm praying that as we prepare to meet the Lord, as we prepare to live in these last days, We'll have a three-dimensional, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life. And Jesus will have all of us. Let's pray. Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. 